Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Perhaps you've heard the quote, being a mother is very, very hard. If it were easy, fathers would do it. I've been reminded in the last few days with family here and two little ones in the house how challenging it can be for a mom. Never been a mom, had a great mom. Love the mother of our two children. But I've been reminded that it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of multitasking. And I'm grateful that our daughter, Haley, has a husband like Logan that's very supportive. Because, man, they double team. And then when KK, my wife Kelly, that's her grandma name, my grandma, my grand, my grandma name, my grandpa name is Big H, by the way. <clears throat> it took, we triple team. And then we quadrupled. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, I've been reminded as much as I can really understand, that it can be a challenge to be a parent. And especially today in Mother's Day, we're reminded of all the things that moms can be and all the things that they do. They have a huge responsibility. And so it's just right and appropriate for us as a church family to have baby dedication and to continue our commitment to pray for all the young children that we have, as well as family members that are trying to raise their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I uh, also recognize that there are things that happen in a mom's life that can cause discouragement. It could be that with infants... They're trying to adjust to having a first child or a second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh, however many God may bless them with. And so they can have discouraging moments. And a lot of times we have heard the expression, when mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. So therefore the dad could get discouraged. And then if he's got a mom that's looking out for him as an adult son, she could get discouraged. And then it kind of can spread on and on and on. But you don't have to be a parent or a grandparent to have times of discouragement. Just because we're a child of God does not mean that we won't have those days. Sometimes we call them the blues. The title of the message, if you haven't already noticed, is we're going to talk today about shaking the blues. No matter what age, you can be a teenager. You can be an adult. You can be a senior adult. You can be a young adult. We all have times of discouragement. When we come into a relationship with the Lord, he never said, oh, You're good. The rest of your time on earth is going to be perfect. No, no. It just means that because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ through the Father. For Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Then we have someone to lean on. 
Someone has said, well, I don't want to really be a Christian because Christians need a crutch. Listen, I am never ashamed to say I lean on Jesus as much as possible. And when I don't, it's my bad because he's there with me day and night. And every moment of my life because I've admitted my sin and I put my faith in Jesus alone and confessed him as Savior and Lord. And those that say, well, I don't need a crutch, I want to say, how's that working out for you? We all need Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So he came to die for us because of our sin. And those that haven't come into a relationship and say, well, I'm doing fine. Well, I just, just give them time. Stuff happens, and God has ways of breaking us where hopefully we have that opportunity to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, if you've not been with us in recent weeks here at East Haven, again, we welcome you. Facebook, we welcome you on this special day. But we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. So if you haven't already turned to Nehemiah chapter 4, I want to invite you to do so. We're going to continue our study for a few more weeks before we get to the summer. In the summer, we'll talk, we'll talk about hot topics for a hot summer. We'll deal with some issues that are prevalent today and how to respond as believers. But what we're going to see today, as we think about last week, we talked about how to respond to criticism And this is a follow-up to the next section in this chapter, in chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Let me remind you or tell you if you've not been with us. Nehemiah had his eyes open to go and help God's people rebuild the protective walls of Jerusalem. He was a part of the rebuilding project. There was a time in Israel's history that they had been conquered by Babylon and they had been taken into captivity and the walls were absolutely destroyed. Then Babylon was conquered by Persia. The Persian king Cyrus gave the Jews permission to return to their homeland and rebuild it. While Zerubbabel led the rebuilding of the temple, Ezra the priest, the heart of the people, Nehemiah was burdened about the protective walls after 142 years of them being destroyed. And what we're about to read is when they were halfway through the project, there was some discouragement that set in. So here we go. Meanwhile, meaning after last week's text and all the criticism that they were receiving and Nehemiah was for fulfilling God's will. The people in Judah said, the strength of your laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Do you ever have times in your life where you talk to you, Jesus say, God, I just don't know if I can keep going. God, I, 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 I wasn't expecting this to happen to me. And ask me. They were struggling. Also, they said in verse 11, Our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. So they were doing a little stinking thinking. They were thinking about the threats that they had had. 
Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They're crying out God's people are, and they're they're saying, Nehemiah, what what are we going to do about this? So therefore, Nehemiah, I stationed, verse 13, some of the people behind the lowest points in the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard what we were aware of in their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you or wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Shaking the blues. It's right there in the text. Now, let's look at it. How do we go about that? Well, we follow as believers what God's word teaches us, what God's examples. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, Abraham, Esther, others show us. And what Nehemiah did because his people were having the blues. They were halfway through the journey of rebuilding the project. It didn't take a lot of time, but they were discouraged. There's nothing wrong with being discouraged. We are human. But. There is something wrong if we stay there and we get further and further in the funk or let the black cloud just get darker and darker and darker. So what do we do? Well, first of all, recognize the causes. He brought about the causes. We saw as we read the causes. There's primarily two that can cause us at times to be discouraged. One is being overworked. In other words, not having appropriate balance. The original text says that they were stumbling, tottering, staggering under the load. Can you imagine? Stumbling, tottering. They were wearing themselves out in doing something that God had asked them to do and something that they had volunteered to do, but they were getting tired because they lacked balance. They were tired in the work, not of the work. Folks, there is a big difference of being tired in the work and not of the work. They were building for protection, Yet they had not protected themselves 
with food or their families and eating appropriately and at the right time and providing the right kind of energy, they were exhausted. They were burnt out. Someone has said fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He had a divine appointment and assignment, and yet he rested. He was a people person. He walked through the crowd and spent time with individuals, and yet he never seemed in a hurry. Wow, to be like Jesus. He rested. Do you remember the passage where he's in the boat with his disciples? And the storms come, and they get all uptight, all excited about what was going to happen. Oh, no. You know what Jesus was doing? He was resting. Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to (laughs) perish? He was in the boat. He was allowing this teaching moment, and he was resting. He was fully God and fully man. And so he went through things like we did. We, if Jesus took time to rest in his divine mission and assignment, certainly you can and certainly I can. And so the people had gotten overwhelmed. They had gotten out of balance. So someone has said there are times when the most spiritual thing we can do is maybe take a nap. Vance Havner preacher of old had a lady one time come up to him when he was talking about this passage about Jesus resting or the importance of taking a break and resting. She said, well, preacher, you know that the devil never sleeps. And he said, since when am I supposed to be like the devil? They were overworked. And it may be when you get discouraged either now or in the future, you may need to stop and say, am I obeying that 11th commandment which one of my mentors, pastors, told me when I was a youth minister? If there was an 11th commandment, I believe it would be thou shalt be balanced. And I have found that to be true so often. And then sometimes it's the second cause. They were overworked, but they were overwhelmed. Why were they? I I see two reasons in the text. They were overwhelmed. One, they looked at the task before them. They kept looking ahead at all the rubble and all the things that had to to be built back up. Instead of looking at what had been accomplished halfway through, they stared at what had not been done. They saw rubbish, dry earth, debris. They could not imagine it ever going away. Sometimes we need to celebrate the small victories. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done by your grace and allowed me to be a part of. Instead of staring, not celebrating what he has done through us, instead of staring what is ahead. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, being certain of what you do not see. But without faith, it's possible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he watered those that diligently seek him. We're saved by faith, and we're to live by faith. And sometimes we look too, too much at what is ahead, and we don't realize that God is going to help us. He's helped us in the past. He's going to help us in the future. So they kept looking at what 
was before them. You know, sometimes when you move like we did recently, it seems like the boxes grow. In our garage, and my wife, and some of you who have helped, and family members that have helped, has done an amazing job in our home and in my office and all those kinds of things. But I can tell you, it was only two nights ago that we first parked both cars inside the garage and let it, the garage door down. I'm telling you, just as soon as we'd get some boxes unpacked, it seemed like there'd be five more that came in when I wasn't looking. It just kept going and going. And there were times that we both were overwhelmed, thinking, man, this thing is just never going to end. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we live by faith and not by sight. The Bible says, do not grow weary. In due season, you shall faint not. Keep going, Christian. It's a battle. And sometimes you get overwhelmed, but keep your eyes on Christ. The second thing they did, they looked. They looked at the task before them, but they looked at the taunters behind them. Those guys, they keep showing up. Sandy, Geshe, and Toby for short is what we call them here at East Haven, or I do. And, and they just, you know, it was like they kept, they kept looking over their shoulder. Like, but they keep threatening us. You, you see what they say? They keep. Sometimes we do that. Now, people aren't the enemy. The enemy's the enemy. But he can use folks if we let him. And so part of their challenge and anxiety was people that were going to taunt them. Sometimes as Christians, we have a little trouble living out the Christ's life in our daily lives because we're afraid of those that will taunt us, and they are there. But instead of allowing it to bother us, it should be and could be used as a warrior for Christ to encourage us and motivate us and keep our eyes on him more. I, I have a uh, confession to make to you sometimes when I don't go down the elevator I go down those little steps you know in a hotel room or in a a big apartment complex or a business building you know those steps you can take instead of waiting on the elevator I'm, I'm not always real patient it's like I ain't messing with this elevator I got to go and so sometimes I'll start going down those steps and what happens invariably is I get a little tripped up or I don't enjoy the journey because here's what I do. When I start going down those steps, I'm thinking because I get spooked if I don't know people are coming up behind me. And I spend half my time thinking, man, is somebody somebody coming behind me? And, man, I'll, I'll zip down those steps as much as I can because I can't stand the thought of somebody coming up behind me and spooking me some of you have already seen that you come up to me and said hi and I didn't know you were there and I jumped like that that's just I don't know I think it was in my jeans my daddy did it my granny kitchens did it and my daughter does it so it, it just there's something about some of us but I I can't enjoy that brief time going down those steps why it's because I'm looking at folks that may come behind me. Sometimes we can't worry. We can't enjoy the Christian life because we're worried 
about something behind us that may not be there and may never be there. Words of sin, we have to trust the Lord and not be overwhelmed. So what do we do? We see the causes. We see the causes, A.J., who's thinking I'm preaching too long. Hang in there, A.J. Now, what do we do? We're being reminded and we recognize our commitments as a believer. Nehemiah was like a coach at halftime with this speech. He coached them up in the text three ways. Here we go. First of all, to the Lord. It's a commitment to the Lord. The verse says, remember, meaning they were to recollect or reflect upon that they were called of God to do it. Job said when he was going through trials, though he slays me, yet will I serve him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, my favorite verse that I share with you from time to time, and I have it in two places in my office. It says the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And so when we get discouraged, when we get down, we make sure that we're reminded of our commitment to the Lord. He's Lord, Savior, and boss. He's the one that we want to please. He's the one we want to keep on going for. He's the one that we're to love with all our heart, soul, and mind. He's the one, and we keep on, and we keep on trusting. He died on a cruel cross for your sin and for mine, and we're motivated out of love, not because we're trying to be good enough to get to heaven, but because of the finished work of Christ, and we put our faith in him. So when you and I get discouraged, we remember more than anything, else because really we shouldn't need anything else our commitment to the Lord and what he's done and he's been so good to us but let's say we need a little more motivation and we'll look a bit a little bit further to those you love Nehemiah called them out he said remember your families he said remember their sons and daughters sometimes in a church or in our home we're planting shade trees for our grandchildren Some folks along the way, myself included, sometimes we need to maybe snap out of our funk, whatever it takes, the discouragement, because there are people that are watching us and counting on us and wanting us to to keep going to be an example, no matter how difficult it might be, and it will get difficult. My motivation here, speaking of those you love, Of course, call to God. But then, for this season in my life, with the newest call to come home to Mississippi, is Mississippi folks. Now, I have been away for 20 years since serving in Mississippi. But though uh, I have spent a lot of time in Florida during my adult years, and that would be probably... Uh, called my adopted state, I love deeply my native state. And God in his grace has allowed me to come home, and I'm grateful. That is great motivation for me. Not that I wasn't motivated in the land of the sand. Nothing can take place of the land of the muddy Mississippi and the Mississippi people. 
And then there's a call not to, to ruin my good name due to past family members. Do you represent a godly grandmother, mother, uncle, person that served as that mother figure for you? Could have been some type of spiritual mom, godfather, whatever it might be. Then that should be motivation for us. I have enough motivation when I come back to the state of Mississippi because in Florida, when I'd say the name Kitchings, they'd say, oh, you're, you're the president of the Florida Baptist College, Tom Kitchings. And I'd say, no, he spells his name wrong. They didn't know who my daddy was or my granddaddy was, but I come here. I found out even coming here things that, uh, that just add to the pressure when I found out my grandfather, Kitchings, pastored a church for years around here and taught at Whitworth College after he retired from Mississippi College. So what does that do? That just means there's even more pressure to, by God's grace, make sure that the name Kitchings doesn't have a bad name because of me. God help me because I don't want to do that. And many of you are saying the same because you had a good mama or you had a great granddaddy. And you have a good name. Good name is like fine perfume, the Bible says. And we want to represent Jesus. Remember, there's nothing else. We're representing him. But also, when we've been blessed with a good name, or we're tr- maybe you're trying to make a good name because your past wasn't that great, then do it because of that. Or call to a cer- certain church and community. You see, I've shared with you, and I'm going to share a little bit more on Wednesday night, that I love, even though it's been 90 days, Kelly and I greatly love this church and the community. I had a pastor this past week who called to check on me. He's done this twice. He's a guy I went to Mississippi College with. He pastors in Mississippi, and he's done this twice. We're friends. It's not like we're uh, running buddies or we're always super close, but he's done this twice. And this past week, he said, how you doing? Good. So I was describing you as a church family. And he, I said, man, I'm just really enjoying these. He says, oh, then maybe it's East Heaven. I thought, I believe I've used that. Now, I've been here long enough for you to know I'm not perfect, and I've been here long enough to know that you're not perfect. There is no perfect church or pastor. But overall, I am very, very thankful and more motivated to keep going because of those reasons as well. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that not just loves the church, but they love the community. We live in a great community. And then there are your grands that are watching. You got the grandchildren, as well as children that could be adults that are still watching. Why couldn't we, why wouldn't we want to finish strong or work through discouraging times? We have lots of motivation as well as family. And then you say, well, is there anything else? Yeah, let me give you something else. So recently we've lived in St. Pete, Florida, eight and a half years, which is right by Tampa. You ever heard of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Sure you have. They had a guy named TB, Tampa Bay, TB, Tom Brady. Now, regardless of what you think of him as a person, regardless of what you think about the fact that he went way up north to school, regardless of any of that, I thought 
during those few years, I want to learn something about this guy as far as leadership. And I learned one thing that I had never thought about really before in this way. Let me tell you what Tom Brady would do. He was such a competitor. He would come up with stuff that people might think about him and use it against them. For example, oh, you think I'm slow, huh? Well, watch this. Oh, he'd think, you think I'm too old, huh? Well, watch this. Oh, you think I need Bill Belichick as my coach? Well, watch this. You see what I'm saying? He would use stuff that people may or may not have said or thought to work in his favor. Some of us need to be wired that way, meaning there's times in my life that I come up with stuff because I learned this that people may have never said or even thought like, oh, you've been away from Mississippi most of your adult life and for 20 years. Come on, man. And I'd say, okay, we'll see about that. Or, hey, you're an older dude. Your hair's not blonde. It's gray. Okay, that's fine. You see, sometimes I like to make up stuff to try to be motivated more to finish strong in the Lord. Whatever it takes, folks, for us to fulfill our call and to live for Jesus and to say, he finished strong, and Jesus to say, well done, thy good and faithful service. Do it in the name of Jesus. Those were things that they did to help lighten the load, and thirdly, to share the load. Nehemiah did that. He cried out to help. He claimed God's promises. He's dele- he delegated other responsibilities to people, and they all helped him. And I am grateful for the way that God's people help us during difficult times. I uh, text my my nephew, I didn't have one of them's phone number. I got to get it. I lost it during my transition to my 601 phone number. I wasn't about to keep my Florida phone number. But I text one of them because this is his first or their first Mother's Day without my middle sister, Karen, who passed away in December. Because I'm sure, like some of you, this is a tender time, and he's working through a, a difficult time. You see, we... We need each other. Our church family needs each other. That's why there's so one another's in the Bible. So many of them encourage one another, pray for one another. So in December, when their mother died, my middle sister died. I've said this before. I'll probably say it many times. I was already getting to know you, most of all, through your pastor search committee. And I'm telling you, they were a great church to Kelly and to me. Never be afraid, folks to let your church family help you if you're going through a difficult time or season. Don't allow pride to say, you got this on your own. Let them help you. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. And it can be a blessing because some have that gift of serving and mercy And they look for opportunities to do that. Don't deny them that opportunity. There's a story about a man who 
was married. They had one little bitty girl, little daughter, about seven or eight years old, as this true story, as I understand it, goes. And she passed away because of a tragic accident. And after the funeral, the family members, or several of them, came up to him and said, hey, you want us to take your daughter so you can have some time to grieve? We'll we'll take her. He said, no. We, We need to face this together. And so they go home that night, and the little girl, the little daughter, going through her first of several nights after her mother had passed away, but right after the funeral, which was another unique first for her and for him. So he, he, he puts her in her room, takes, taking her to her room, and she says, as the story goes, Daddy, it's really dark in here tonight. You think I could sleep in your room? He says, sure, honey. Come on with me. So he went in his room, closed the door. She got settled in her place. Said, Daddy, it's dark in here too. I think it's, it's, it's extra dark in your room. He says, yeah, honey, I think it's probably darker in here than it's ever been tonight. She said, Daddy, a little bit later, is your face turned toward me? Oh, yeah, honey. My face is turned toward you. Daddy, can you love me through the dark? He said, oh, yeah. Honey, I love you even through the dark, as dark as it is tonight. I love you. She said, well, I can go sleep now. A little bit later, after she was asleep, her daddy got out of the bed, and he kneeled down by his bedside. And he said, God, it's the darkest it's ever been in my life. Is your face turned toward me? And in his spirit, he sensed the strong voice of God. Oh, yeah. My face is turned toward you. Folks, if you're going through a dark time and you're a child of God, never forget. His face is turned toward you, and he can love you through the dark. You see, our Father has provided a way through his Son. And I'm so grateful for this great hymn, and if you know it, you can sing it with me, just the chorus. But where would he keep our eyes? It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will 
grace in our life we thank you that you can turn our dark days into brighter days because we know all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose in Jesus name amen